You're listening to the free edition of Sweden in Focus from The Local. If you would like to listen to a full-length version of the podcast, as well as an additional midweek episode, please check the episode notes for details on how to upgrade to Membership Plus. Here's this week's free edition. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, and welcome to Sweden in Focus, the local's weekly news podcast. Thanks to all our regular listeners for tuning in. And if you're new to the podcast, we hope you enjoy it. And do make sure to follow it wherever you listen to podcasts to get it delivered safely every week. In this week's episode, we are going to give you an update on the fallout from the highly controversial court ruling we discussed last week that hinged on an interpretation of the word snippa. And with tax declaration season soon upon us, we'll provide some handy tips to get you through it. We'll also talk about how food prices in Sweden just keep on rising to new record levels and how you can save money. We'll have an interview with Taiwan's representative in Sweden. And finally, for our main topic today, we'll examine how and why the far-right Sweden Democrats have become more radical since being welcomed in from the cold by the parties now in government. I'm Paul O'Mahony, and with me to discuss all this in a very snowy Stockholm, we have James Savage and our guest for today, who is Jonathan Lehmann from the Expo Foundation. And in Malmö, we are joined by Becky Waterton and Emma Lovgren. Hello, everybody. Hello. 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 And welcome to the podcast, Jonathan. We'll be hearing a lot more from you later. But uh, for now, can you please just tell listeners a little bit about yourself and the Expo Foundation and what it does? So I'm a researcher at Expo. I've been there for over a decade, actually. Um, the Expo was founded in 95 to monitor far-right extremism, organized racism, because there needed to be a magazine, a journalistic product that would cover these groups all the time, not only when there is a, has been an attack or a major rally or something, but just following it all the time, gaining an expertise. And so that's why Expo was founded. And my field at Expo is looking at far-right extremism specifically. And when I do that, I also come across Sweden Democrats in a way. So that yeah. brings us to today's topic. Exactly. So the Sweden Democrats aren't one of the main focuses of your research because they've sort of distanced themselves from this more extreme movement. Yeah, it's actually colleagues of mine who are looking into SD more closely. Yeah. Uh, but my work is usually oriented towards the more extreme. Great. Thanks for that, Jonathan. And OK, let's start with an update on the awful court case we talked about last week. And just to recap, a man who was initially found guilty of raping a 10-year-old girl was cleared by an appeals court after judges failed to agree on whether the girl's use of the word snippa referred to the external or internal parts of the female genitals. And the ruling sparked a massive public outcry 
both online and offline, with street demonstrations taking place around the country over the past week. But one really interesting development was the decision by two of the lay judges in the case to resign from their positions at the Court of Appeal. James, can you tell us about the circumstances? Who are these judges and why have they stepped down? Well, these two judges, they're both men, and they were what's known as nemdeman, that is to say lay judges, that's people without judicial training who are appointed by political parties to judge in court cases alongside a professional judge. There's always a professional judge um, there in the middle. These two were both originally Social Democrats. They were appointed by the Social Democratic Party. But it's important to note that lay judges while they're appointed by parties, they're supposed to carry out their duties independently. And this is the issue now. So after the case led to controversy, Mm. you know, hashtags, demonstrations, lots of articles in the the press, these two quit following conversations with party officials. Mm. And this is the controversy because this is kind of seen to... Many people have have, have raised questions about whether this compromises the system's independence and the independence of these judges. According to the party official who spoke with them, these were, quote, normal coaching conversations. Mm. Um, He just wanted to support them, he says. A local MP, Matthias Jonsson, who also spoke with them, said he wanted to gain an understanding of the issue. But see, the result was that they quit. And there's the controversy. This has been criticised by people, including um, leading lawyers, not least the former justice minister, a social democrat called Thomas Bootström. And his point is that, look, we criticise Turkey, we criticise Poland, we criticise Hungary mm. when politicians get involved in individual cases. In fact, this is a massively controversial issue right now in the EU, I mean, with, yeah. with Poland and Hungary in particular. And he says that this action by the social democrats threatens to undermine the impression of independence that Sweden's judiciary has or, you know, the, the, its reputation for, for, for independence. So that's why he and, and others with him are, are saying that, that this was a, a bad move by the Social Democrats mm. and they should, be, they should have been much more careful. On the other hand, others have pointed out that it doesn't necessarily hurt the Social Democrats right now politically to look like they're being tough on crime. So there's this kind of balance that the Social Democrats are, are, are having, to, uh, having to find in this. But, you know, they are coming in for some criticism, particularly these, uh, these local politicians. Just one little point there. You said that they had conversations with the party. Do we know, were they called to a meeting with the party or did they go there of their own accord? Uh, they were, it was at the party's initiative um, right. to, to, to have these have these conversations. Now, there's a slight kind of sliding scale there. from the party's point of view, you know, these were conversations. It was just a sort of, it was just a, an informal chat around the issues mm-hmm. that just happened to lead to, the, the, to these two resigning. But obviously from the outside, what you really don't know is what, you know, what, was the, what was the real tone of those conversations in the meetings? And of course, when the impression is created that it was possibly a reprimand or something yeah. like that. These these two were getting a reprimand from politicians for the way they judged, and you know it, it, you could interpret it that way from the outside. Mm. Then it, it obviously creates issues and, and controversy, and has done. Right. And Jonathan, could I just bring you in there and, and your perspective on the Sweden Democrats? I mean, do they ever criticise court rulings, and if so, what form does their criticism tend to take? Well, it, it does have a criticism more or less formulated that this court ruling is wrong. Yeah. But uh, And this is the kind of stuff we can see from other directions too. But it usually adds like another layer, like heavy SD politicians have, have used such language, basically saying that this shows that there is some kind of liberal ideology behind these rulings, that basically mm. it's not one court ruling that went wrong, uh, according to them. It, it's um, a sort of phrases that sort of undermine the system as such. 
So that's quite common when it comes to SD. So that there's something so, like wrong with the justice system exactly, at its core. Exactly. It becomes more of a attack on, on our sort of constitutional democracy. Right. But of course, it can be argued that even this case from the Social Democrats is also undermining, but it's in a slightly different way, I think. Is that kind of linked to the deep state kind of conspiracy theory that, you know, there's this, I don't know, group of high up politicians that are stopping? It, it does. I think it does relate to that. I think it's uh, it's quite similar to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this idea that there's a sort of a there's a there's an effectively a, a, some sort of liberal or, or, or left wing consensus right. that, that 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 stretches beyond politicians and into the justice system, into into civil into the civil service and yep. and, and and that kind of thing. Absolutely, it can be argued that with this sort of far right push to sort of politicize the courts and these sort of attacks on liberal democracy or constitutional democracy, it can be argued that it becomes even more important for politicians to be more careful and to not maybe act as the social democrats have done in this case. Yeah. Right. It was also like like it was a controversial court case and there were several weird things about the ruling, but it wasn't so weird that it showed that they were kind of wildly incompetent at their job and absolutely should be dismissed. Yeah, I think it's important also to add that it's not a a case of uh, lay judges sort of taking a completely different stance than the judge. This sort of responsibility for how this turned out is on not only on these uh, social democrat appointed uh, no. uh, lay judges i think that's important to add exactly you know there was the, there was the professional judge in the middle who came to the same conclusion yeah. as the, as the lay judges you can't start making judicial decisions based on what the public thinks like that's the the whole point of a judiciary is that you have someone else that decides someone who's separate from the public separate p- from politicians that, that decides kind of what's what's right and wrong when it, when you look at law I don't know yeah and uh, look, look, this isn't just a swedish principle it's a it's a western democratic principle that politicians don't get involved in individual court cases they don't fire judges because they make decisions that the politicians find distasteful or just plain wrong you don't do it like that judges are independent and once they're appointed they're appointed and they're only that you only get rid of them for issues of gross incompetence and really then it shouldn't be the parties getting rid of them it should should be the courts themselves. The courts actually have systems. If they have a problem with a with a particular nemdeman who is, for whatever reason, deemed unsuitable, is is, is not behaving themselves, then the non-political head of the court, um, the prof- a professional lawyer, can fire them effectively and then ask the parties to appoint someone new. So, you know, it's not supposed to be the party's role to sort of pull people out of the courts. Okay, thanks everybody for that roundup. And now it's that most wonderful time of the year when the Swedish state requires us to file our income tax returns. When, Emma, do we get the pleasure of submitting our returns and when can we expect to get money back if we're owed a rebate? Okay, so if you have a digital ID like Bankidea, for example, you should already be able, like at the time this podcast is you know, published, you should already yep. be able to log into the tax agency's website, skatteverket.se, to view your tax declaration. And they are pretty good. Actually, they're very good at filling in all the details for you. For example, a freelancer will have a side hustle, in which case it's a headache. But unless you need to make any changes or add anything to it, all you have to do basically is to just tick the box to say, yes, I approve this. And you can do that from this coming Monday. So March 14th. Okay. Now, if you don't want to make any changes and you're happy to approve it digitally, that means either online or by sending the tax agency a text message or calling them. And you do so before the end of March, 
then you'll get any tax rebate that you're owed in early April. The tax agency also sends out a paper version of the tax declaration, which I like mm-hmm. submitting because it feels, I don't know, it feels more genuine and fun. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's a fine fun, Emma. <laughs> submitting your tax declaration, Paul. <laughs> I just like getting posts. I think it's exciting <laughs> to just get something in the post. Ooh, they like me. <laughs> I got this pathetic. <laughs> but <laughs> anyway, you can look forward to getting this paper version of the tax declaration between mid-March and mid-April. And if you'd rather use this, or if you have any changes that you need to make to your declaration, or if you did just didn't get around to approving it digitally by the end of March, then the final deadline to approve it is May the 2nd. Mm-hmm. And you'll then get the rebate in June. Or you could get told that you haven't actually paid enough tax and you're in arrears and you'll have to pay kvarskat, as it's called. And this is what tends to happen to me. So that's fun. Oh, is it really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I thought most people um, tended to get money back. But there you go. I don't know. I guess the local just doesn't take enough tax out of my salary. <laughs> well, I'm getting money back. I got my, I got my declaration yesterday. So quite excited. I've had to pay like 5,000 kroner for the past couple of years. I think my first year, before I started working at the local, or I think the year I started working at the local, I'd been working freelance before that, and I got a tax bill of like 50,000 kroner. But luckily, (laughs) I knew it was coming, so I had it all sitting in an account to pay it, but that would not have been nice if I hadn't been aware of that. It's always a lot more work when you're a freelancer doing all all of this stuff. It's a very nice thing about being employed. At least you get quite a few months to pay it back. I think if you're in arrears this year, you have to pay it back in like September or something, or this autumn anyway. And do you have any tips for making the process as smooth as possible? So if you don't have to make any changes to your declaration, the process is already extremely smooth. You just click yes and send it off. But actually, before you do that, you may want to take a second to investigate if there are any deductions that you can make. actually got an article on the local about handed deductions. So, for example, like just to take one example, if you live more than two kilometres from the place where you work, you can deduct part of the cost of your public transport tickets. And I used to live near Uppsala and work in Stockholm and... I was able to deduct like 11,000 kroner on my public transport ticket every year. Blimey. So that's pretty good. And if you need help filling out your tax form, you can obviously read the local's guides, but you can also call the tax agency. And this may sound a bit strange, but Skatteverket often comes out top in surveys about which government agency is Swedes' favourite government agency. Because if you're a Swede, you have to have a favourite government agency because we're that kind of country. (laughs) But they have a reputation for being pretty nice and helpful and surprisingly flexible as well. Yeah. I also have one secret hack for you that may or may not work. So I haven't tried it myself, so I don't know if it's true. But they have an English helpline for people who don't speak Swedish. And I've heard from people that the English phone queue is usually shorter than the Swedish phone queue. So even if you've learned Swedish, this is a time when you may be able to use your foreigners to your advantage and just call the English version instead. Hey, even if you're Swedish, why not? Exactly. <laughs> Cut the queue. Thanks, Emma. Really good tips there. And we'll put some links in the notes to some of the articles you've mentioned for anyone who wants more information on filing your tax returns. Let's talk about the price of food now. February saw the biggest food price increase in a single month since price monitoring site Mott Colon started keeping records in 2015. 
And Becky, you've been covering this. What are some of the main price increases to watch out for in Swedish supermarkets? Pretty much everything. To be honest, unfortunately, one thing I found interesting was when I was reading this report by Matpris Kollen, the CEO uh, Ulf Mazur said that when prices first started going up, like food prices, it was mainly items that were kind of grown or produced in the agricultural industry, so dairy, fresh produce, that kind of thing. But he's saying that now prices are rising on everything. And then the specific things that were rising the most were a little bit of an odd mix, really. It was like peppers, rice cakes, tomatoes, veling, which is this kind of watery porridge gruel that Swedes give to the kids, as well as aubergines, melons, courgettes, and weirdly specifically filled fresh pasta. So it is a very odd mix. But uh, I think a general rule, everything is going up in price. And then these were the specific things that had gone up the most in February. I've never felt more like a privileged millennial than when I, a few months ago, decided to just stop buying avocados. Because they're really <laughs> expensive yeah, and you can never rich. be sure if it's good or not. Yeah. <laughs> It's really become a treat now. I'm like, ooh, maybe I'll treat myself to an avocado <laughs> splurge, that kind of thing. And then you open it up and it's all rotten and Yeah, moldy. it's like, right, never doing this yeah. again. Yeah, yeah. I know, um, Becky, you've, all, you've also updated the article we have on how to save money on food and drink in Sweden. And we'll add a link to it in the show notes. But can you pick out some key points for us? Well, one of the main tips is actually related to the items that have gone up in price. Tomatoes are really expensive right now. Like, they're not in season like they're they're expensive to produce in Sweden if they're produced in Sweden at the moment they're made in kind of heated greenhouses in the south of Sweden where electricity prices are higher so no. one of the one of the best ways of saving money at the moment is buy seasonal produce which is usually cheaper also it's usually cheaper because it's a little bit less exciting you know people don't really want to be eating like turnips they want to be eating <laughs> delicious tomatoes, that kind of thing. So March is actually what's known as a hungry month when it comes to vegetables. There's not really that many things you can harvest at the moment. Right. But you can still buy tinned tomatoes. You can buy preserved vegetables, you know, if you, if you really want to make something exciting. Like, to just go for, like, the canned varieties or, like, winter vegetables that can be stored. And then another really good tip is to shop around. So you can save a lot of money by doing a weekly shop. Sweden's cheapest supermarkets are usually Willys, Lidl or Citigross. Try and avoid going to smaller inner city supermarkets that are usually a lot more expensive. And then if you really want to save money, you can check for discounts in advance. We've got an article up on the local with with these tips and links to all of the different coupon sites and, you know, deal sites for all of the major supermarkets. And then you can even plan your weekly menu around what's on offer on each supermarket. So that's a good way of saving money on food at the moment. And then the governor of the Riksbank will be very, very pleased with you because this is what he's saying. This is exactly what he's saying you should do. He said, don't accept high prices, shop around, look for bargains, and then you can help to bring down inflation in Sweden. So it won't only help you, it will help the country. So we're all doing our bit here by... Doing our bit. You can also do what I'm doing and grow your own vegetables. I've just... uh planted some cucumbers and some aubergines which are going to be growing in my window this summer and this spring so if you want to save money on fancy vegetables grow them yourself you don't need a garden i don't have a garden great thanks for all those tips uh becky millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from noom like evan who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds salads generally for most people are the easy button right For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. 
A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. To our Ambassador Series now, I sat down recently for a chat with Taiwan's representative in Sweden, Clement Gu. And Sweden doesn't have official diplomatic relations with Taiwan like the rest of the EU and the United States and some other countries. Sweden adheres to the so-called One China policy, which accepts Beijing's view that there is only one official China, but does not endorse China's view that Taiwan must become part of the People's Republic of China or PRC. What this means in practice is that Sweden maintains strong ties with Taiwan, not least when it comes to trade. And we'll have an article on the site in the coming days about Swedish-Taiwanese relations and how Taipei's representative is enjoying his time in Sweden. But first, in the excerpt we're going to hear in a moment, I asked Clement Gu what a country like Sweden can do to support Taiwan, given the simmering tensions with its much larger authoritarian neighbour. Let's hear what he had to say. From the point of Swedish government, Swedish people, they understand Taiwan is not a part of the PRC. Mm. That is the first one. And second point is, if you said, how could you support Taiwan? I mean, nowadays, Taiwan, we are on the front line of uh, authoritarian expansions. Therefore, this tension, actually not just only between Taipei and Beijing, but the so-called democracy and authoritarian. Concrete to your question is, number one, please send more delegation to Taiwan. For example, your your politician, your parliamentarian, they can visit. In ta- actually, many European countries, they visit in Taiwan. Yeah. Number two, international participation. We want to use a way of so-called meaningful participation. That means uh, not apply to so-called membership, but, but so-called observer. And we try use this uh, low-key profile way in the functional organization, international organization, as observer, for example, WHA, yeah. ICAO, International Civil Aviation, Interpol, International Police Organization, mm-hmm. and UNFCCC. So in this regard, we do hope in this May, um, 21st May to 30 May, there will be held WHA assembly mm-hmm. in Geneva. And hopefully the representative of uh, Sweden can in this, uh, use this opportunity to speak up something, support our mm-hmm. application, our application of so-called as observer in the WHA. And uh, last but not least, you know, because now it's a democracy vis-a-vis so-called authoritarian. Somebody knows that already. I said always, Taiwan, we have very good tea. We have very good black tea, green tea, high mountain tea, oolong tea, bubble tea, even our guarantee. However, the best tea in Taiwan is our democracy. 
in this sense, we are belong to the same group. Democratic countries should support each other and sit together and do some common action. And do you see any any difference between how Sweden approaches Taiwan and how other European Union countries okay. do? Yes, uh, actually, in uh, last year, already totally ten countries they speak up their uh, support yeah. in the Geneva Assembly. Mm -hmm. So actually, uh, comparison to the other European Union, Sweden, I mean, I, I said Sweden support, but yeah. somehow uh, can do more, more energy in such, uh, we call international participation for Taiwan. You've just been listening to the representative of the Taipei mission in Sweden, Clement Gu. And as we heard, he is calling for more explicit support from Sweden, specifically in relation to gaining observer status at the World Health Assembly. James, how likely is he to get this support? Gosh, it's hard to say. So Sweden, as you were saying earlier, Sweden doesn't formally recognise Taiwan as a sovereign state. And like the rest of the EU, it follows this one China policy, which means that it recognises the People's Republic of China and not Taiwan. Although you know, it does support Taiwan's participation in the WHO and the International Air Transport Association and other, and, and, and other bodies, often as a, with observer status, but mm. nonetheless. But what will affect Sweden's judgment here is whether it feels confident it can make a stand on an issue without reprisals from China. Right. Um, so this is what it basically dictates, I think, the EU's policy towards Taiwan and Sweden's policy towards Taiwan and most Western countries' policy towards Taiwan. Most Western countries don't recognise Taiwan as an independent state because they're afraid of, chi of China somehow exacting revenge for doing so because China really doesn't like that. And China has invis significant investments in Sweden. It owns Volvo and, and Swedish companies have um, big investments in China, particularly companies like Ericsson. Right. So it's in the balance whether Sweden will support Taiwan in this particular instance about the WHA, the World Health Assembly. And um, I think it will only do so if it's got cover from lots of other European countries. Mm. I mean, he mentioned that 10 countries took a stand on that last year and did push. And, and there were some Western European countries in there, France and Germany, for example. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's not like Sweden would be going out there completely on a limb. Sweden wouldn't be, wouldn't be going out there on a limb, but it's going to be a judgment about whether, you know, because Sweden is, um, you know, Sweden is not France, Sweden is not Germany. Sweden is a smaller country. Mm. It has a significant dependence on China. So it will be a question whether they decide in the, within the government that this is, that this is a stand that they can take. I mean, you can see that the, the, the government that we've got now has, you know, Ulf Christian, for example, has been quite pro-Taiwan while in yeah. opposition. But obviously, it's a different issue when you come into government and you have to, um, you have to balance very, very, right. very different interests. Right. And last month, Sweden appointed a new representative to Taiwan, Anders Volter, and Sweden received a lot of criticism in diplomatic circles for allowing the previous representative to spend most of his time in Sweden over the past few years rather than in Taipei. But the government made clear when announcing the new representative that he will be permanently based in Taipei. Is this a sign that the new government is more supportive, as you say, of Taiwan than the Social Democrat-led government was? Or how do you interpret all this? Yeah, maybe a bit. I mean, like, like I was saying, Christian and Yuan Pershon, the lib liberal leader, have been quite sort of gung-ho about Taiwan while they were in opposition, much mm. more so than then Social Democratic ministers were. However, now the, the tables are turned and they're in government. Yeah. So we shall see. But the fact that they've, that they've gone from having this, you know, a quasi ambassador who was based in basically based in Stockholm before to having a the quasi ambassador based in Taipei. 
that is a step in the direct, a little, little baby step, perhaps, in the direction of, of supporting uh, Taiwan. But ultimately, like I said, it, there's too much at stake here for Sweden to go out on a limb. I mean, just for an example, look at Lithuania, which made the t- what looks like a very, a very small step of allowing the Taipei mission in Vilnius to call itself the Taiwanese mission yeah. in, in, to Lithuania. And that led to a downgrading of diplomatic relations. The um, Chinese withdrew their ambassador from Lithuania. Um, it spilled over into uh, controversies with it within the EU and you know caused difficulty for other EU countries. And Sweden won't want to end up in that position, particularly as Sweden's dependencies on China are much greater than Lithuania's. Okay, great. Thanks for that. Now on to our main topic for today. The far-right Sweden Democrats made history in September when they secured 20.5% of the vote to become the second biggest party in the Riksdag. One of the ways the party managed to become so successful was by distancing itself from the extremism that characterised the party in the years immediately following its formation in 1988. But when the Expo Foundation released its annual report on racist political movements in Sweden last week, one thing that really stuck out was how much the Sweden Democrats seem in fact to be moving closer to the more radical fringe at a time when they have finally become a part of the Swedish political establishment. For example, leading Sweden Democrats are now embracing the alternative media landscape they previously asked their politicians to avoid. And we'll look at how all this is happening in a minute. But first of all, Jonathan, can you put this in context for us? How did the Sweden Democrats distance themselves from their roots in the neo-Nazi movement? So that process has been over many years, of yeah. course. So if we look at the at the mid '90s, they change party leader from uh, their first party leader, who was a member of a Nazi organization, the Nordic Kingdom Party. So they change to a former center politician, uh, Mikael Jansson. They mostly in the mid '90s focus on the appearance, the the visual. Uh, the optics of uh, the party with these rallies with the Nazi skinheads being in the forefront of the the marches, etc. So they're calling on people to uh, yeah, on Hollywood Nazis to stay home because they are drawing ridicule on the party, right. etc. So that kind of stuff from the mid '90s. Not so much change in policy. We still see, you know, this idea that uh, people who came to Sweden after 1970 should be expelled, and uh, uh, um, for some time we still see that hanging on. But in 1999, they changed that policy. They dropped right. that policy, and in 2000, the party leader Mikael Jansson expresses this discussed with Nazi ideology. In 2001, this is very important, I would say, there's a a split after an internal conflict and the National Democrats are formed. And here, the Sweden Democrats can sort of point, now we have expelled the extremists. And they condemned, SD condemned this party as crypto-Nazi. And uh, uh, in 2005, uh, SD officially adopts a policy of open Swedishness, where being a part of Sweden is is a cultural... Um, it's about cultural homogeneity rather than ethnic homogeneity. That's a really important change, isn't it? It is an important change. However, the, these phrases about ethnic homogeneity sort of still linger on for a couple of, uh, of years mm. in some other parts of the of the documents. But but it is an important shift, and it causes the white supremacist, far right extremist environment to view as the not as pure nationalists anymore. Right. Et and SD also shared a party symbol with other. 
with far-right extremist parties like uh, uh, National Front and uh, French Front National and the Belgic, uh, Belgian party. And they changed that uh, symbol to a flower, the hepatica. I think that's, <laughs> is that what it's called? Uh, in, I don't know what it's called in Sweden. Uh, uh, the blow sip, but I have no yeah, idea. Yeah. No, yeah, I, I, I looked up. <laughs> it's, uh, that's the Latin term, I think. It looks a bit like a daisy. It's like yeah. yellow in the middle with white flowers. And previously, it was it was a, it was a, this flame, right, yeah, that was used by exactly. a, lot of, a yeah. lot of racist groups. Yeah, exactly. So, and then uh, uh, in the 2000s, SD starts to model itself more after populist far-right parties, such as the Danish People's Party, right. a party they also claim to be uh, close to and and uh, being in, inspired by, and also then in 2015 they expel the SD youth, the youth wing again, showing people now we have expelled the extremists. Etc. Yeah, so and they com- com- they completely shut down their youth wing. Yeah, yeah, they did. They tried to get rid of the party leader, the youth wing's leader, yeah. a couple of times, and when they failed to do so at the congress for that for the youth wing, yeah. a couple of times they expelled the whole youth wing. And those are the people who founded this party to the right of the Sweden Democrats, alternative, alternative for Sweden. Sweden we'll yeah. probably get to more. And then also, of course, the zero tolerance policy in uh, 2012, yeah, a decade ago, saying that there is no room for extremism and, yeah, they will be more strict with that. And uh, here we see this the, the SD starting to name and shame a lot of, uh, a few of these uh, far-right extremist uh, news outlets yeah. and expelling people who share uh, propaganda from those sites, etc. So we see this, mm. yeah. People were told not even to click like on Facebook, right? Exactly, yeah, from because the Because it could be secretary. seen as a sort of yeah. a tacit um, acceptance of these views. Yeah, and so it's never been like consistent and it's always sort of protected people closer to the leadership and mm. the party, but it do- it has had an effect. And the party, I mean, th- this uh, po- these policies sort of, brought Sweden Democrats closer to this being a social conservative party that they claim to be. Right. Yumi Okason joined the party in 1995, right? And he joined around the same time as this the, the Gang of Four that sort of formed the, the new ideology. How much are they tainted by having joined at a time when there was still a sort of a, a Nazi stain on the party. Yeah, uh, we were actually able to show that Okeson started even during Anders Klarström's time. Right. Uh, so, so even, even in, in 94, he was... Uh, so Anders Klarström, Klarström was the... The, uh, the Nazi, the Nazi activist who, right. who who was the first party leader in the Sweden Democrats. Yeah. So actually, Jimmy Okeson even started in 94. But they, so um, yeah. Jimmy Okeson, when he took over as party leader in, in 2005, mm. so he and... The group closest to him, they formed this new ideology. And Matthias Karlsson was, was sort of a chief ideologist yeah. in the party, right? And a, a lot of this was centered around open Swedishness. Can you just explain a little bit more about the open Swedishness concept? Because it is so important to understanding how they moved away from sort of the Nazi past. Yeah, and so basically it's, it's a way to to do that, of course. And uh, yeah, it, it's, it means that Swedishness is cultural uh, rather than than ethnic that anyone regardless of skin color background should in theory at least be able to be a Swede it, it's yeah. not a matter of of uh, which countries you come from but of course this is also combined with generalizations that have you know traces of racism sometimes in them uh, where where some groups are described as culturally so distant from Sweden that this process is almost impossible so of course there's sort of room for tarring um, painting um, um, 
different minority groups with mm. uh, with the same brush, right. uh, even even there. But still, it's 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 still not. Um, it's something different from from the race-based right. racism. I remember a couple of really concrete examples around that time. I think it was in the mid-2000s when high-up representatives of the party said that Zlatan Ibrahimovic, he wasn't Swedish. Mm. But Henrik Larsson, another beloved yeah, black, exactly. black footballer, he was Swedish. Yeah, exactly. And because he was more, he was seen as being culturally Swedish and he, he, was, he was quite reserved and he had these sort of uh, characteristics that you identify with. And the party has Jan since st- st- tried not yeah. to use, uh, talk about individual cases because they felt that this Slatan debate was a bit embarrassing for them, talking yeah. about someone's body language or yeah. Yeah, um, things like this or standing in a queue or... <laughs> things like this um, that it becomes very problematic and how do you view you know people who, who are um, who have Swedish background but are not <laughs> yeah. good at standing in line I mean it, it does create some some problems and yeah so you've given um, you, you've given the the background on how they how they moved away from that sort of dark past but you've written quite a lot recently on how you see that they're sort of moving a little bit back in that direction. And can you give some examples of how you think the party has moved closer to the more extreme fringes of the nationalist movement and sort of when this when this change happened? Yeah, it, it happens. Uh, well, it happens after the election of, of uh, 2018, more clearly. Right. Uh, in the election of 2018, they're still sort of describing this alternative for Sweden party to the right of them as extremists based on them not adhering to the open Swedishness. Right. So what we see in the years after the election of 2018, where this sort of alternative media world was very sort of critical of, of SD and more pro-alternative for Sweden, we saw that SD sort of changed here and started to sort of, in 2020, for instance, SD started to celebrate the sort of the far-right alternative media environment without specification, without calling some of them extremists, etc. So we see that uh, sort of starting like that. And then Sweden Democrats, uh, uh, people high up in the Sweden Democrats appearing in these programs. The official SD accounts sharing far-right extremists' uh, media platforms, links, uh, material from those sites. So basically, if you look at people who have been expelled previously, you could actually expel people high up in the Sweden Democrats' based on that logic, based on, mm-hmm. on the motivations behind previous uh, expulsions. Right. Uh, so, so I think that's quite interesting. We see also the party recruits pundits who have expressed support for far-right extremism and uh, ethno-nationalist views who appear in far-right extremist chat rooms, who build relations with far-right extremists, saying that they are welcome to the Sweden Democrats. These previous breakaways were just personal conflicts. They're not important. Right. SD should be a broad church. SD politicians using ethno-nationalist language and expressing these ideas ideas about the Swedish Swedes being replaced, yeah. which is usually so tied the, the to... the great replacement theory. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, the, and also uh, Sweden Democrats inviting prominent far-right extremists to speak for regional branches, also inviting individuals who called for a revolution to overthrow our government yeah. during uh, the pandemic, based on the Swedish comparably lacks uh, restrictions right. and recommendations. Well, basically being very involved with that sort of anti-state um, extremism during the pandemic, inviting such a representative to the to the parliament. Like what Becky was talking about earlier, sort of deep state conspiracy theories type people. 
Yeah, uh, exactly. And so we see this, the lack of you know, these sort of red lines to the right of the Sweden Democrats have one by one more or less been removed. Mm. I mean, not all of them. They still view, for instance, the neo-Nazi Nordic resistance movement in the same negative light. Right. Uh, mm. And that would still be a uh, uh, cause for being uh, expelled. But it's rather actually the sort of sphere that they previously, about 20 years ago, called crypto-Nazi, this sort yeah. of environment around the National Democrats. That party does not exist anymore. However, this sort of media outlets sort of came... When they failed to compete with the ballots, they're sort of competing with propaganda and yeah. there's a way to sort of make money through that or gain money through, through uh, state support. So we see that some of these who have failed in the elections are sort of remodeled to sort of propaganda. And it's, it's that sphere that yeah. once was called... Uh, crypto-Nazi, that is now it's much closer to the Sweden Democrats. That's all we have time for today. But for anyone who wants to hear more about how the Sweden Democrats have become more radical since losing their pariah status, we have an article on the site um, that we'll link to in the notes about the report that Expo released last week. And we'll also make the rest of this interview with our guest Jonathan Lehmann available in the coming days in a bonus episode. If you have feedback or ideas for the podcast, you can find a link to a survey in the show notes, or you can always email us at news at thelocal.se. If you're not already following Sweden in Focus, make sure to hit the follow button in your podcast app. Our panellists today were James Savage, Becky Waterton and Emma Lovegreen. Our sound engineer is Rhys Edwards. I'm Paul O'Mahony and we'll be back again with that bonus episode I mentioned on Tuesday, followed by our next news review on Saturday. Until then, take care. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. That's all for this week's free edition of Sweden in Focus. If you'd like to hear a full-length version of the podcast each week, as well as an additional midweek episode with more interviews and analysis, please upgrade to Membership Plus. Make sure to check the episode notes for details on how to upgrade. Sweden in Focus is a podcast by The Local Europe. Our sound engineer is Rhys Edwards. The publisher is James Savage.